Welcome to another week. Uh, we are back this week uh, with, I believe it's week 12 in the Epic series. Uh, we're talking about Esther and her story uh, from the book of Esther. And um, I've been asked to come uh, back again, so apparently things are going well, or at least semi-well. Yeah, I mean, nobody's <laughs> telling me otherwise. So uh, yeah, we're going to get into the book of Esther today. You're so, the only one only one doesn't charge us to come that's, back. So that's true. 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 Now that I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, Pastor, do you want to take us into kind of a little bit of a series background and where we are? Sure. We've, we've been racing through the Old Testament, and, uh, and the series has been called Epic, and we've talked about perspective and having God's perspective, and we, we've used the stories of, of the Old Testament, beginning with Joshua, through Judges, through David. Uh, we, we've used these stories to help us see that God is calling us to join him on his epic journey and his epic story. And as ordinary people following Jesus, we were invited not to live ordinary lives, but to live extraordinary lives uh, when we fill our life with, with the things of God and, and what God's doing. And, and so all these stories have shown these different opportunities, these, these different conflicts, uh, Daniel, and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, these opportunities uh, to seize the moment to, to, to take our swing at the plate as uh, Mari used the baseball bat in the sermon uh, Sunday. You have to watch a sermon now to see what I mean by that. Uh, but uh, to take our place at the plate and, and swing the bat. And so uh, we've been working through and we're in exile and we're with Esther. Mari, why don't you give us a background of the story? All right, so Esther's kind of a really interesting story. Um, some people even talk about how this is one of the only books in the Bible that doesn't actually ever make any direct references to God. His, his name is never invoked, it's never this, but we very much get this picture of, of the Jewish culture and, and this, um, this group of people that at this point, they have been in exile for quite a long time. So we're after the time of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, this is that Persian empire that's arisen. So um, at this point, they have pretty well, and almost been like assimilated into the culture to a large extent. Um, Esther opens up with this uh, story about the king, King Xerxes, which starts with an X, which my kids just ugh, can't, it gets them every time. But he, that he, They've never used a Xerox. Exactly, right. yeah, true. no, my, my kids are, are well past Xerox. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of opens up with this idea that this king um, like called his queen out to kind of show her off to, to other people, and she turned him down. And like... <laughs> That is not a thing. So I almost feel like you set that scene right at the beginning of the book that disobeying or defying the king can have really harsh consequences and that she gets removed from her position. Mm -hmm. Queen Vashti is, is set aside and he's, he's on the lookout for a new bride. And we kind of get the idea that he really wants someone that, that he can kind of display. And so he's, they assemble and pull like all of the maidens from the area. They do all these oh, elaborate preparations for them to go and like be presented to the king. And Esther ends up being... The girl that he sees and just like you met Holly, right? right. Exactly. Can't imagine exactly. his life without her. Yeah. <laughs> Twelve month process of preparation. <laughs> oh yeah, that was good. And so if you're curious <laughs> what all that entails, definitely check out like Esther one and two. But she she gets chosen as the queen and she finds favor with the king. Um, but again, this is very much a if he calls for her, she is welcome in his presence, and if he does not, she is not. Um, that is how, how it's set up. And so um, off to the side here, we have this other story coming together of, of her cousin Mordecai, who has raised her. She's an orphan. And his um, interactions with Haman, who's another leader in the king's um, court. And Mordecai and Haman are just kind of at odds for different things. There's times Haman doesn't feel like Mordecai is honoring him. Mordecai does something and Haman's jealous of him. 
And all throughout this, Haman is hashed in this plot. He really wants to get rid of Mordecai, but not just Mordecai. He starts to extend it to this whole group of people, the Jewish people that have been living in their midst for years now. But he's like, enough. We need to weed them all out. They are, they're not following our customs. They are not doing what we want them to do. And so it's time to exterminate and get rid of all of them. He does not know it. It seems like no one knows that Esther is also a part of this group. And so that kind of shows me again that they're kind of assimilated enough now where it's not as, um, as separate as, as you might think. So Mordecai is um, still coming to see Esther, and he shares with her this plot that he's uncovered that would affect not only her and her family, but their entire, entire group. And um, in Esther 4, I'm going to read just a little bit here, as he is trying to encourage her and give her the boldness to go and see the king, she reminds him that there's this rule that, um, it's kind of starting in verse 11, that all the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they should be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. Then she reminds him, 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So she's saying, I, you want me to go and do this thing, but this could very well cost me my life just there on the spot. So how, will I, how can I save other people if I am not even certain that, that I would make it out of that alive? And so as um, that, those words go back to Mordecai, he sends her back this answer. He's like, well, don't think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And here's the, here's the kicker. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So I kind of feel like that's the battle cry here in Esther, is that idea, for such a time as this. So he's saying that the help will come. He does not believe that God would allow his people to perish. But she's got a moment. She's got a chance here. And maybe, just maybe, she is put in this position just for that moment. That's good. That's good. So I think one of the interesting things about this story is that it, you look at the story and it kind of seems straightforward at first. You know, there's a problem. Someone's in place. Are they going to be obedient to God? But the more you read, the more complex it is underneath the surface of the story itself. Um, how Mordecai, you mentioned Mordecai and Haman's kind of animosity towards each other. And I think it, one of the sub-themes in the story here is this idea of another example of civil disobedience. Um, I mean, Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman. And it's interesting to me as you read the text, I don't see anywhere where it says Mordecai refuses to acknowledge Xerxes as the king. It's just he's not going to bow to Haman when Haman passes in front of him, when Haman comes by the city gate where Mordecai is sitting. And so it's interesting to me that we see a similar example to what happened in Daniel's story. Daniel says, I'm not going to, you know, I've been told to bow, I'm not going to bow. But the funny thing to me is also that we also see Esther using the king's laws to turn things on its head and to rescue the Jews. So. Civil disobedience, when, when, when do things, when should we not be obedient or when, when, when is it okay to uh, maybe take that, we had mentioned last week, the third way, and when, is, when are there things in place for us to use um, to fulfill God's plan or will? And so that made me think, um, how do we view our placements within our jobs, our neighborhoods, our friend groups? You know, do we see these things as coincidental or do we see them as God-provided opportunities to use the circumstances as they've been set up uh, to ultimately pursue God's will. Uh, how do we view those placements? Can we? Uh, can I push back a little bit? Sure. What's the matter? 
And, and you say that? Whether it, it, it's okay, this is just an opportunity that's arising, or that God ordained this opportunity, does oh. that change our obligation with regard to, to the opportunities that we're given? Oh, not at all. Not at all. In fact, Murray, you just read it there. Um, I think in, that, in chapter four, we talk about where the focus um, of Mordecai's words in Esther is for such, what, how do you not know that you're not placed here for such a time as this? But I think there's a focus prior to that, you know, God's going to deliver the Jews one way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. but are you going to be the one that acts in this moment, or is it going to be somebody else at another time who right. is what God wants? Absolutely. Are you going to seize your moment? Seize your moment, because it is God-ordained. There, there are, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, are there, are, and I mean, the, maybe this is a self-answering question, are there non-God-ordained moments? And I don't, I don't know that there are. Not all of life is holy. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right, but I think you can fall into the almost the trap of that is like, well, every moment is controlled and ordained and moved like that. that there's that fear that, well, what if I missed my exit here mm. and now I'm outside of his will? And if I didn't follow every step there, is this is this really what he wants for me? Right. Can he work here? And so I think there is that um, that being willing to accept that, okay, even if, if I messed up here, God can still use where, where that oh, sure. detour Absolutely. took me. Um, and so and even if I didn't take every step the way that man would have led to the most good, maybe for me or for other people around me, that there's still is this redemption and restoration in that. Absolutely. I think it's where we, we get caught up with that ideal of the perfect will of God. Mm -hmm. The perfect will of God is to live in obedience to him in the moment you're in. <laughs> that is the perfect right. will of God. Right. That that all of us have those moments where we, we fell or we we, we didn't move like we should have moved, mm -hmm. and, and that does not negate, and, and that's the wonder and the beauty of our God, that God can ordain, that God can weave together our good decisions and our bad decisions so that we are living in the perfect will of God even in the moment, right. and, and, and only God can do that. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people live, and I think it's important what you said, Mara, a lot of people live in this what-if world. Mm -hmm. That they're constantly looking back, I mean, particularly you know, you know, all our all our boys are out of the house now, you know, and you know, there there's all sorts of ways I could get caught up in. Well, what? Why didn't I? Or what if I would have? And 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 I can't. And that can freeze you from such a time as this. Oh sure, uh, right. And um, I, I, I think <clears throat> I think it's also our limited perspective versus God's omnipotent perspective right if I only see that he's presented me with this one opportunity that I either take or miss and then the road goes this way and I'll never be back in the center of God's will that's really limiting what God knows and sees and plans anyway you know right. what I mean and so we can't look at him presenting us with an opportunity or like you said these moments that we have opportunity to do things it's not a matter of if I miss this or if I don't do it the exact right way or you know look back and question it that's not how God works. God sees so much more than we do. And I think we put God in a box if we think this is the only time I have to act or not act. And if I mess that up, then I don't get a second chance or I don't have another opportunity. That's good. Which then takes, you know, like you can't what if because all I have is my own perspective. I could what if all day long and still not come to any answers. Right. So, you know, I, yeah. I, so with that said, um, and, and there's, a, there's a secondary fear that I have with with the focusing on God-ordained moments. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the secondary fear is that we wait for God-ordained moments right. instead of seizing the moments. Right. That we, we, we're waiting for that right time. Well, 
you know, in Hebrews it says today mm-hmm. is the day. Uh, you know, this is, right now is the right time. Right. Now, it may not be that, you know, you have to, to gauge and, and determine what that opportunity is. I mean, certainly, you know, if, if you're trying to share the gospel, uh, may, maybe this isn't the opportunity to tell your salvation story to somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now still is an opportunity to take that next right step. And, I, and that's, that's the other phrase you hear often. Right. What's the next right step? Every moment is an opportunity to take the next right step. And, and so I, what I'm afraid of when we, when we start doing these, and I'm not saying they're not battle games. Sure, moments, sure. I guess I'm saying this, I believe every moment of our life is intended to be a battle game. Right, right. right. Yeah. We can't separate, there should not be a distinction between God-ordained or non-God-ordained moments. It's like, this is my time, right. and that's God's time. Right. Right. Which right. I feel like you've talked about oftentimes, it's like you can't really separate the secular and the holy. Like right. it all is, is woven together and it really kind of reframes how we think, even of these coincidences, these coincidental moments. Like when we reframe that as, what, like what if that wasn't a coincidence? Like what, like that was, that was the moment. It might have been something super small and super seemingly insignificant, but it's like, oh, you saw someone that had a need and you were able to meet that need. Oh, that was weird. Like, or that was a great, Example of, of God kind of being at work in in your situation, whether it was something small or big. Right. What if God puts you in that grocery line for such a time as this? Oh, absolutely. What, 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 what if you had that encounter in that dog park for such a time as this? I mean, what if yeah. you start seeing every moment as oh, such yeah. a time as this? I've had several instances since we've been talking about this series over this past summer where um, I found myself in in a situation where someone who I knew was approaching and I saw them coming. Uh, for example, I was sitting at, at a practice Jillian had the other night, a cheerleading practice. So they're all outside, we're in our cars sitting, you know, COVID restrictions. And I see this man who I know walk across the parking lot. I mean, he's walking across the parking lot towards my car. And I was not dressed real nicely and I was reading a book and it would have just been easier for me to sit in my car. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe he won't see me. And then I kind of felt a nudge to like, hey, dummy, maybe you're here at this exact moment and he's here at this exact moment. Don't be closed off. And he passed the car and we kind of looked at the same time and I spoke to him and it was good to reconnect with him. But I could have very easily just said, oh, it's just coincidence that he's here, stuck my head in my book and ignored the situation. Right. I've had a ton of those little situations where God is kind of pinging me and pinging my attention and saying, you know, it's not about just the, what you would call the big moments. It's, you know, you were here. How do you know that your interaction with that young man at that moment didn't lay groundwork for something else? Right. And so don't be closed off to those things. Actively look for those circumstances in those situations and nothing would be coincidental when you right. looked at it that way. Because yeah. sometimes it's things like, oh, the person in front of you asked, I left one of their grocery bags sure. there. Like you can save the day for that person just yep. by just by saying something. Or if you saw somebody drop like a dollar out of their pocket. And again, it's a dollar. They maybe aren't gonna miss it, but by you picking that up and giving it to them, I mean people say things like, Oh, you've restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> and I really think what they mean by that is that we are so trained to see each other yes. as just being so self-seeking and self-serving that when you do something that serves other people, that is for the good of other people, it it does, it has a striking effect. I, I think John 4 is, is one of my favorite stories of that because that that is as such as a time as this. Jesus is sitting in a well, the lady comes and gets water. Um, he didn't have to do anything. I mean, there, there was no reason for a conversation no obligation or anything. There no obligation right. she didn't say anything to him right. but that he saw that as an opportunity um as and you know 
I think those stories in the Bible with Jesus are, are just to remind us, listen, Jesus, Jesus sees opportunity, and God sees opportunity where we just see going through the motions. Right. No, and I was, as I was thinking about this morning, getting ready for this, the, um, the quote, I think it's, it's John Wesley, that's who it's attributed to. It's, it's this one where he says, like, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Hmm. And, like, when you read that, there's not a lot of loopholes <laughs> no. in there. There's not no. a lot of, well, if I'm having a bad day, like... Or Sunday from 9 to 11. Right. right. Oh, you know, oh yeah, yeah. That's definitely thing. do all the good you can right. when you're sitting in church on right. Sunday. Right. Um, I feel like it really does um, spur us on. And I'm not saying it's the easy way. I don't think sure. any of this is the easy way, but it really does spur us on to that different level of living in our communities where we are seeking the good of the people around us over our own good. Yeah. I think if anything, you use the phrase, it will come my attention, the easy way. I think if anything, it is a more difficult discipline to be constantly aware, to try to be constantly aware, to be vigilant of those moments. We are very event-oriented as humans. We can set ourselves up for the big moment, you know, and totally, like you said, turn off or forget or autopilot the rest. And I think that's, to me, that's harder to be constant. It's almost like flexing a muscle and constantly, like, you know, you get tired at some point, but that's where prayer and, and attention to God's spirit in you or in me is what I need all the time because it is the little things that take place that I have to be aware of, or I do miss those. Right. You know, I mean, those are the things that I think that can pass you by quickly if you look back and you go, what if I had done? Um, the big things that you can prepare for, the big moments that you can put preparation into, uh, it's on a totally different level. Yeah. You know. Yeah, most of us aren't going to become queen. No. And save right. whole, whole generation. I think only one of us at the table has yeah. a chance of yeah. that. So. Yeah, I don't know anymore. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, <laughs> we'll yeah. edit that part. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Get that out. Yeah. I, and, you know, it's, it's our families, yeah. Our home life, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think most people, I don't say most people. I don't, I don't want to generalize, but it's real easy to go through the motions in family life. That, that's where you turn off. Yeah. I hate to say it, but that's you know what I mean. That's if you're tired, the day, you know, that's when you turn off that sensitivity to those moments. Well, I do. I'm not speaking for myself. And yeah, and it's that's the place where you want to feel like you don't have to. I hate to say, make this sound like it's a performance or a show, but it is a vigilance about how we speak, how we act, what our mindsets are. And it's easy to autopilot at home. Right. I, uh, it's interesting you said that. Um, I had the opportunity to speak on Pastor Josh's behalf Sunday night. And I am painfully aware that I have a daughter in the youth group. So when I'm speaking at you, yeah. you know, that's a new experience for me. And so as we were driving to church, um, I just felt compelled to have a conversation with her. I said, do you feel that I'm the same person when I'm speaking in front of the youth group as I am at home. And Kennedy's a wonderful kid. I mean, you know, she was doing everything she could. Daddy, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But I said, no, I mean, do you feel that? Do you feel that the person I am when I'm, you know, doing this kind of public stuff, is it the same person I see at home? And she said, absolutely. She said, we all have bad moments. You know, I mean, she said, I'm not going to let you off the, you know, you're not perfect. But she said, yes. And I mean, that was more affirming to me than anything that she could have said, you know, hey, speak good, or I like the video clip you do, you know, I mean, something goofy like right. that. Because it is hard. It right. is hard to be in those situations constantly. I'm thinking of the, I think it's a DC Talks song where they quote, you know, that, that 
date myself a little bit. No. But the, 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 the cause of Christ has been hurt more by Christians than anything. Yes. Yeah. And, and this inauthenticity. Yeah. Um, in the home. You know, I was blessed. My parents, they were literally the exact same at home uh, to my benefit and sometimes not to my benefit as they were in church. There was no difference. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I look at myself and sometimes I hope that I am that, you know, you know, I, I want to be right. because inauthenticity, mm-hmm. not being authentic, destroys the faith of kids. Oh, in one action. One, yeah. You know what I mean? That can, that can, that can overshadow years of other activity, other, you know, other examples. Yeah. One inauthentic moment. And right. I love it because I feel like sometimes we think about like being parents, okay, I should have the answers. My kids should be right. able to look at me. Like when we take on that humility of, hey, we're, I've never been a parent to an eight-year-old before. <laughs> You've never been eight years old before. Like when right. we have that humility, like this is, this is a shared journey. And like, yes, God has designed our family where I am here as a guide for you, but not to lord this over you, not to tell you that I have everything figured out. But when, when we ask for our kids' perspectives, like that is so immediately, um, I don't know, just like it gives them such value and they so. feel like you, you're you interested in them. Right. It was funny you say that. I asked Kennedy and it took her like three different questions to kind of get a, <laughs> you get a beat on what I was, because she just wanted to say, you know, she wanted to converse and engage at the same time, I was kind of wondering, you know, where are you going? Jillian have been more straightforward. Oh, Jillian would have shot me at the knees, yeah. <laughs> they say it takes three questions for a kid to yes. know that you really want the answer. Right. You really want to know. So right. sometimes, yeah, that, that's, being willing so, to ask it to be So stop it, too. Right, yeah, no, be done. No. Yeah. Take that He's asking that. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I ask you twice. Yeah, yeah that's, that's all we're going for. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I as you're talking about this, this, this in everything, I, I keep coming back to a... Uh, I think it's Augustine. He talks about sin as this bend away from God and that God wants to bend us towards him. And, and I think that if you're going to live these authentic lives, you have to be bent towards God. And not, not that you always get things right, because I, I can tell you I don't. There's times I have to just say, I blew it, God. I'm sorry. And uh, like any relationship, there's times I have to say, I'm sorry. And But I do feel that God has begun to move me and bend me towards his perspective. Um, which is a constant thing. Yeah. It's a constancy, it's, yeah. Which I, I think that's something we keep coming back to, you know, the constant willingness to have God's perspective over everything that we're doing and everything we're looking at. And you can't do it by yourself. No, not at all, no. And and you can't, I think Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right. That, that there's this ideal, you know, I don't know why we get this ideal that it's like, okay, I'll go to the altar a couple times and I'm good to go. You know, to, to work out our salvation, to, to finish uh, to maturity, to, to finish this race successfully, it takes work. Yeah. It takes others. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, and, and I hammer on this, it takes confession. Confession moves us forward. And when we fell, if if we confess our sins, he's faithful and give us our sins. But not only that, but confession allows us to see ourselves as we really are and, and gives God that permission to say, okay, this is an area, God, I want you to help me with. And, and it's so valuable um, to, to, to people in the church. I, I know I, I, I spoke on confession early on in my ministry here, and one of the teens 
I'm not going to say who, I went to his mom and said, do we do that here? <laughs> if we don't, I don't want to be here. Because uh, confession, you know, I, think, I don't think this is scripture. Confession is good for the soul, but I think it is. I think it's essential for the soul. And, and to live in these moments, it takes, it takes work. Oh, yeah. And as we're talking about, I think all of you should be, would affirm that if you're listening to us, we're not saying, hey, we have it all together oh, and we no. always get it right. We don't. Uh, but that's what we're striving for. No, I don't even think about times that I'm like realizing now I'm rethinking it that people, and oftentimes I feel like when we do this whole route of confession, we have a thing right now in our culture where we'll start it with, I know I'm a horrible person, and then we'll tell yeah. a story of something we did that, let's be honest, maybe was horrible. But the way that we phrase it is because we immediately want those in our community around us to rally around us. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're <laughs> right. not. But I'm realizing now that when we talk about confession as being an important part of spiritual growth, like doing something bad does not make you a bad person, but we would be better friends to each other yeah. to listen carefully as those things are taught, as people are sharing these things with us, because our actions are a reflection of our heart. And so if we say, oh, I'm a horrible person, here's what I did, there, there's, a, there's a moment there. There's an there's a, a opportunity such a time as this. for such right. a time as this for that discipleship to happen in that. And so maybe if you have a friend saying, don't let your first thing be, oh, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. Right. But engage them a little bit more in that conversation, because for them to tell you that, they probably aren't proud of what they did. And maybe you can you could help them with a better way forward. You know that that's those conversations. I mean, it's, Jesus says, um, um, "Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in the midst of them." And so there's this invitation for Jesus to be present in the midst of of, of conversation of relationship. Um, you know, I'm always reminded of, of um, Re- Revelation, where Jesus says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I'll." Sup with them, I'll dine with them, and so he's using this image imagery of the table, uh, this time of significant relationship. It's all rolled up in communion and all these things that that in these moments of our life, maybe you know, maybe driving to the store is not going to be such time as this. Maybe there's not going to be some opportunity, but I can guarantee you, when when you get home today with your family, uh, when you have significant conversations with friends. Jesus wants to be in the very center of that that time together. Uh, even, even if even if you're talking to somebody that maybe maybe they're not a believer, maybe maybe they're, maybe they're pre-faith, uh, maybe maybe they're anti-faith. But even in the midst of those conversations, I fully believe Jesus wants to be right in the middle. Absolutely. I I cannot tell you how many times I have sat in conversations with friends, colleagues that on surface seems to be a lighthearted conversation but there's deeper meaning there and there's a deeper significance there and i have legitimately and i'm not saying I'm, i was in the perfect place or perfect moment but i have at least was i felt that i was receptive i have legitimately felt the holy spirit say watch what you say here be careful what you say here don't say anything here. you know where my inclination might have been to like you say to jump in and to try to you know illustrate or egg on be quiet here you know because the Holy Spirit was leading me to listen to them and how they talk, you know. And again, it could have been about it could have been about Benjamin Logan football, or you know, you know, our struggles with with the curriculum or this kid in this class. But every single moment was something sacred that God wanted to use, right. and it happens. It happens all the time. So such a time as this, yeah. you need to listen. Yes, yes. You, you, we don't think that we think we think of such a time as this as action, right? Uh, but you see, in the story, there there is a there's a passiveness. To Esther and how she approaches the king. 
Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that that there is there is pause mm-hmm. to allow interaction right. coming from him. Right. And so we, we tend to think of such a time as this as well. To to swing the bat is to be a work and action. Right. But maybe to swing the bat is to just be present. To be there. Uh, I think that's I think that's the I'll, I'll put labels on it. That's the, the holier motive, but that's also the harder thing to do for yeah. because we are so bent towards how am I going to be prepared? What am I going to say? You know, I mean, how many times have we gone into these things thinking, well, if the conversation goes this way, I'm going to say this, and if it goes this way, I'm going to, you know, how do I need to be prepared? Also, you've got an arsenal of things ready, <laughs> and God's like, if you just sit and listen, you know, I might give you what to say. I'm, you know, I'm, I'll direct you if you'll just sit and be there. Absolutely. You mean some people listen thinking about what they're going to say? No, not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Like we're doing right now. Exactly. Right. 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 What's next? What am I going to say? Exactly. <laughs> Thinking through the next five minutes. Think it's time I got script. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys mentioned at one point um, not doing this alone and the, the strength of community. And there's a part in this story um, that I don't know. It's it's a focal point, at least as I read it. Um, when Mordecai and Esther are talking about what needs to happen in order for. Um, the Jews to be rescued, or at least to attempt to rescue the Jews. Um, Mordecai tells her, you're going to have to go to the king. And Esther says to Mordecai, okay, here's what I need. I need everyone in the city to fast and to pray for me for the next three days as I prepare, without ceasing. And I'm going to do that on my own too, but I need you all to do this as well, um, to prepare for what I'm about to say. Um, It got me thinking. You know, at no point do I see Esther thinking that this is just all on her and her shoulders and that it was her decision to carry out, but that she's relying on a community of faith and a community of believers to pray for her in these moments. And I got me wondering, how often do I, and the answer is probably not as much as I should, ask for help in preparing for those types of moments from my small group, from my family, from the people that I worship with. And it's it's one. Th- it would be one thing if after Esther had said, pray that the conversation goes this way, or pray that I have this to say. She just says, pray that basically God's will is going to be done. I don't know that I ask enough for people to pray for me, to be prepared for those unpreparable moments. And that's something that really convicted me. I thought, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with asking for that type of prayer. I thought, you know, my role as a school teacher, there are so many unpredictable, unprepared moments that I've experienced. I'd like to be covered in prayer on that, you know, and I really ought to be talking to people about that. You know, hey, pray for me this school year. You know, as things are going to happen, I have no idea what kid's going to come my way and what situation's going to be presented to me. But I want to make sure that I'm ready in the will of God to do what God wants me to do in that moment. That's good. As I've been thinking over the past months, weeks about how to um, how to reopen our children's department and what that's going to look like, and I've caught myself in a couple of times people have conversations with me about it, and almost just at the end, I there are just there's so many decisions, and it's so hard to know what's the right thing or what's the wrong. And I've caught myself to times going, "Will you will you just?" Because I'm like, I'm even to the point, like, I just can't even bring myself to type anything up at this point because I'm like, I just don't know. Will you just pray for me? And like the the care that I've experienced from other people and just the way that I have just felt so loved and encouraged through that has really, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of these, I'm like, man, why don't I do this right. more often? Like, I mean, I know this feels like such a big thing, but there are plenty of times when if I'm just, you know what, will you just pray for me? This week is not going well. Will you just pray for me? Absolutely. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, you got to be vulnerable. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate, I hate to feel pity. Mm. 
And that's what it feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I really resist. I resist a couple things. I resist compliments. I don't I don't want compliments. And I don't no. like, oh, you're you're so overwhelmed right. or oh it, it's like I am. Right. You know, I'm, not, I'm not overwhelmed. You know, I'm a man. Right. You know, we're, we're never overwhelmed. No, fine. But, but, but you know, it's it's interesting that in every great story, um, we're working through Story Brand with Donald Miller's um, book, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a, a lot about marketing for mm-hmm. companies. But it's it's using those the principles of the story, in um, in marketing and presentation and vision casting and those kind of things. And and Donald Miller points out that in every great story, there's a hero. And there's a problem, and there's a guide. There's somebody that stands beside. So you know, you look at the, you know, the Star Wars story. There's uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, and, and, and I just thought this is not yeah. That's a, yeah, it's the it's the eight point story arc. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. in this story, and we're going to talk about this next week in the sermon. Uh, Mordecai is the guide. Yes, he he stands as right. uh, Obi Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. to to Luke Skywalker. Is Esther is Luke Skywalker and, and guides her in. And, and that is the role of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not only is that the role of the church, but your leadership in the church have to accept that we need guides as well, yes. that we don't just serve as guide, yeah. that, that we have a story, to, that we're part of a story too. And it's hard for me. I mean, I'll just admit that it's a hard thing for me. And I, and I, I would say, I think from, and I hate to use these terms, but I think we talk about leadership roles versus Laity. I know we hate that term. I hate using that. It's term. a French term. It's not in the Bible. Right, it's not in the Bible. Right. Exactly. Your term is holy ones. Holy. <laughs> you are referred to as the holy ones. That that is the term, not laity. That right, is right. a French term. Right. But the people who aren't ministering right. in the leadership role. Um, how how do how do we fill that guide role for you? Know what I mean, it, it, it's it's filled with complication. You know, right. I mean? it's not easy. It's not easy to say, hey, this is my pastor and spiritual guide, but now they're wanting me to step into that role too. It's, it's, there's complication with it. And like you said, it takes a lot of vulnerability mm-hmm. to assume that role, to assume that you need that role, and to know that you need that role in your life. And, and I don't think it's just one person either. I think there's I, I, a variety of people guiding at varieties of points in your life. Multiples, I think, the more the merrier as far as that's concerned. Leaders lead the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that... And one way leaders lead the way is they practice what they preach. Yes. And so if a leader says, and, and you know, I'll just acknowledge, I, I can work at this. If a leader says, you need guides, guess what? The leader needs guides. Right. We all need guides. Right. And, um, you know, I, it, it's just it's just me. Maybe not just me, but, you know, I've been on my own since basically I was 18 doing my own thing. Right. And I've not asked for help from anybody. Right. And, uh, you know, it's very difficult. And you, you may be listening thinking, I don't, you know, I got to be vulnerable and tell people I need to be helped. You know, tell everybody. Uh, we're not saying, hey, right. Sunday morning you want to stand up in front of the church and confess all your sins to everybody there and tell everybody how weak you are. No. But you need at least one person in the church that that you can talk to. You can talk to me anytime. They'll never leave my office. And we can work through things, and I can help you find uh, your place in in, in the church, your place in the kingdom, your place in God's story. Um, But but you need to have at least one person that you can share with. That's the importance of small groups in Sunday school. What we do on Sunday mornings as we gather in there will never take the place of small groups in Sunday schools. Uh, it, it just it just will not because it's very difficult to have the connection you need 
in a morning worship service. Morning worship service, the attention's mainly up front. Uh, it's, it's all about God. It's uh, one way. And, and so you need those connections. Uh, you, you need Mordecai's. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. For a lot of my life, I feel like I was always like, I'm like, I'm, I'm the fixer. Tell me your problem. I will do everything I can to fix it. And so like that did orient me very much towards like, I just want to know what, what's wrong with you. I just want to know what I can do. What, not what's wrong with you. That's, that's the wrong way to put it. But like, what's going wrong and, and let me fix it. And I mean, there, there's that verse like, I'll bear one another's burdens. I was like, yes, this is like glowing in my Bible. I, this is what I do. And a couple of years ago, God really checked me on that. I came across it again. And it was literally like, it was just like jumping off the page, bear one another's burdens. Everyone who's reading that is receiving that same instruction, that same exhortation. And am I, am I letting other people act in obedience on that that are in my life? Am I letting other people bear and care about the things that I'm, that I'm burdened with? I feel like I, I took it on, it was just, that was my role. In all of my friendships, I'm the one. I will bear the burdens, I will carry that cross for you. And I really like, whew, to sit there and go, I am, I am created, causing other people to not be able to fulfill that in their lives. Mm. If they think that we are in this close relationship, and I'm not being vulnerable and open with them mm -hmm. about what I'm burdened with and what, what, what I'm struggling with. And, and what you're modeling, not just you, but what we model other people practice. Right. And so if, if the model is everything's always fine, right. then there's there's a few people that, you know, I, I, I always think we had a, a waitress one time that, you know, hey, how are you doing? And we got her life story in like five minutes. Well, you know, I, I was just being polite. I really wasn't looking for the life right. story then because I really wanted to order. I'm just being honest. You know, I'm not, I wasn't feeling very pastoral right there. Right. It's just like, I was really just wanted to order. It's just being nice. But uh, uh, there's some people like that. Mm -hmm. But most people kind of, we kind of operate as on mirrors. Sure. Uh, we interact and we, we, we kind of match what the other person is doing. And, and so if we're not willing to share, uh, then most likely others won't. And so we have our typical Sunday morning where people come in and, you know, their, their legs hacked off and their blood squirting everywhere and, and they're walking in the building. Mm -hmm. and How you doing? Oh, I'm great. We're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we wear, as Dunbar says, we wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that limits what church can become. And 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 when I say that Sunday morning, you know, worship service, that's that's difficult to get oh, that. Right. But those small groups, yeah. uh, those friendships, the interpersonal connections, it it, yeah. it needs to happen in the church. You brought up the uh, the you know, epic storyline, the hero. You know, the, the problem. We also study this in literature. When does and I'm not taking that turn, but when does someone with good intentions turn into the villain or turn into the problem? Hmm. And it's when they separate from the guide. Hmm. When they're no longer taking guidance, when they're no longer listening to counsel or to advice, when their thoughts are the, 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 the foremost thing that they see, when their perspective is all that they have guiding them. Hmm. And I, I think, you know, that's... I think there's an interesting portion of the story. At any given point, Esther could have stopped listening to Mordecai. She could have been the queen and just been the queen. And by the way, this is interesting to me. Um, when we look to see how large this Persian Empire was, India to Ethiopia, 127 different provinces and countries. This was literally the known world. Right. And when, when Xerxes says to her multiple times, what is it that you want? I'll give you everything up to half the kingdom. Ruler of half the known world. You know, she could have easily just like taken India. It. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> that's nice this time. You know. But she could have stopped listening to the guidance of Mordecai. 
you know, Mordecai could have stopped listening to the guy. He could have said, well, I'm safe here in the city. Who cares about the Jews that are, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away? But they constantly had people speaking to them and speaking into their life. And their perspective was not limited as opposed to Haman's. And Haman was his own authority. You know, he only answered the king in order to elevate himself. He had no one speaking to him or speaking into his life. He wasn't confessing anything. He was just on the ladder up. And I think it's very interesting you bring you talk about that that construct of you know the the epic story. When does the villain become the villain, or when does the you know when do they get off the rails? It's when they stop listening to the guide, when they stop taking the advice and counsel and confessing to and changing their perspectives based upon someone else's. Well, in psychology, they'll talk about like your ego and your essence mm-hmm. and those kinds of things where it's like, yeah, your ego, if left unchecked, is very much oriented towards self-preservation, self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And your essence is that part of you that that is more altruistic and like that, that calls other people up into, into a better way of living. And yeah, when you, but that is, that needs to be nurtured. And that's oh, all yeah. nurtured by, by guides and people right. that are speaking into your life, that, um, that better way of living that isn't just self-oriented and ego promoting isn't that interesting god god builds into great stories god builds into our psychology mm-hmm. um, independent of his word right and we god builds the design for us to live better lives mm-hmm. well, and that these are discovered by people who aren't even necessarily ascribing and believing the bible right. like as we study ourselves right. like we find these things in us that mm-hmm. just call back and reflect our creator Right. It resonates with who we are, who mm-hmm. we truly are. None of it is separate from anything God has, has ordained or planned, or it's all part of Him. Yeah, absolutely. I was just uh, thinking about you know what what is the meaning, and, and for a lot of reasons, and talking about meaning, and you know I, I think for the you know I think all of us would say it's all about relationship. And I think early on in my life that was about relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I think most people would say, well, it's about relationship with God and others. And I think most people. Christian faith would, would say that now. But the older I got, I, I've gotten <laughs> the more years, I think it's about relationship with everything. It's about relationship with God, it's about relationship with others, it's about relationship with self, it's about relationship with systems, it's about relationship with governments, it's about relationship with community. All it's about relationship with creation. Yes. God is calling us to a whole relationship with everything we encounter. And so our God lives in relationship and calls us and guides us so that we respond appropriately to all these things. And um, they can live some pretty good stories. Oh, absolutely. If, if you pay attention right. to all those things. Right. And we see that symbiosis just in the way that our different natural systems interact mm-hmm. with each other, our weather, our geography, and our geology, and all this. Like, we see this beautiful, like, orchestra at play. And sometimes I think that we think that humanity is separated from that. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, we were created above but to, to have dominion over this, but also to, to live and participate in it. Right. 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 That's good. So then how could anything be outside of a God opportunity or a God moment? Or, you know, <laughs> those don't exist. Right. They don't exist at all. Right. Someone sent me an email this week, and they signed it off for such a time as this. And I just was like, man, what if that was just, that was our rally cry? Everything True. we're doing, we are living in love. We are leading in love. For such a time as this, we are here. That may be our next campaign after all in such a time as this. I like that a lot. I just cannot get that phrase out of my head. And yeah, that email, I was just like, whew, all right, all right, Lord. Such a time as this, I'm here. We're good. I'm in. Well, I think we've had a good conversation. I've enjoyed it. Is it okay if I pray? Are you done? Yeah.
Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment, for such a time as this, for the opportunity to speak and to talk, to share, uh, Lord, what you've done in our lives and what you're continuing to do. Father, I just pray that our conversation today uh, would not only benefit the three of us, but that God, it would benefit anyone who's listening, uh, that they would understand that your will is going to be done. We just want to be a part of it, Lord. We want to be part of your moments. We want to be part of everything that you are. And so, Father, help us to see the relationships that we're in, uh, the jobs that we have, the neighborhoods we live in, uh, the families that we have, God, the people that we're around on a daily basis are all part of your design and your plan. And that, Lord, we just want to be constantly aware of what you want for those moments. Help us. Help us in the smallest of moments, Lord, to be aware of what you want us to do and how you want us to respond and how you want us to sit and listen all together. Guide us as we go. Lord, give us a good week, Lord. Just ask your name and all these things. Amen. 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 God bless. Thank you.